He's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Devin Rakowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening on your screen and behind the scenes. Um, I am going to do a much better job at this from here on out. You can email me at fistianados uh, at, at yahoo.com. You can follow me on Twitter at fistianadospod. Uh, I'm tweeting more and more. I will respond to emails and I will take any suggestions and talk about it on the podcast or at least answer it uh, on email or Twitter. And hopefully you guys like the new intro and some of the other changes we've made. We've made some other sound changes. Special shout out to Frank for all these. He did a wonderful job with all this. But the last two weeks of action was interesting to say the least. So let's get ready. Let's review the last two weeks. So Saturday, March 24th, on HBO, Dillian White KO6 over Lucas Brown. White was about a 4-1 to favorite going into the fight. The live broadcast got 444,000 viewers at its peak. It was an average of 387,000 viewers. The replay in primetime drew 490,000 viewers at, at its peak with an average viewership of 427,000 viewers. And then Saturday, March 31st, on Showtime, Anthony Joshua with a decision victory over Joseph Parker. Joshua's about an 8-1 to favorite going in. Live broadcast gets 379,000 viewers at its peak with an average of 346. The replay drawing 483,000 viewers at its peak with an average of 430K viewers. Now, first of all, it should be noted here that both contests were up against NCAA tournament games. In particular, the Joshua Parker fight was up against that Michigan-Loyola game, and that game drew 13.15 viewers across all Turner channels. That's tough competition, but nonetheless, that's what you're up against. Um, Sometimes that stuff happens, especially with European-based fights. And I talked about it last time, that's what can happen when you go up. You know, there's a couple of weeks out of the year that you just know are rough weeks. But look, the major takeaway from all of this is that HBO beat Showtime. They beat them in almost every possible category here except the average viewership on the replay. And this is a situation where both networks televised European-based fights, live afternoon broadcast, followed by a primetime replay. The major difference here, HBO puts up a fight with a solid top 10, you know, contender heavyweight, and he fights a club fighter. HBO paid very little for the fight. They got the rights to it a couple weeks before it airs, so there's very little promo time. Showtime, on the other hand, they got a global event 
with a huge crowd. It was like, I think it was one of the largest indoor stadium crowds ever in the United Kingdom. It was the third time ever I read, and I don't know if this is true, but the third time ever that two undefeated heavyweights had fought each other for titles. Uh, they bought the fight months in advance. They had every opportunity to promo it, and it looked like to me that they had a really nice paid media campaign behind it. Uh, but HBO beat them in the ratings. You know, if you're Steven Espinoza, this has got to be frustrating. Anthony Joshua just completed his contractual obligations to Showtime. And you just, I mean, you have to be, how did Dillian White versus Lucas Brown beat you in the US TV ratings? Like, how did that happen? You know, if you're Eddie Hearn, you got to be wondering the same thing. Like, it, it has to be a major concern that HBO beat Showtime in these ratings if you're Eddie Hearn. How is that even possible? You've got you got one of the biggest you get the biggest worldwide star in boxing. Let's just be real. He's it's him, Canelo, and Triple G. Those are the biggest stars, but he's the biggest international star in boxing. And you know you got a star here for the UK. You're making tons of money. The plan is how do you build him in, into a US pay-per-view star? And you, you just first of all, you got to wonder if it's even possible with these types of viewership numbers. I think you you have to sit there and wonder whether it's going to be worth it or not to bring him across the pond in the first place. I mean, I obviously think it is, but you know, Joshua himself after the fight versus Parker said he wanted his next fight in the UK against Wilder or Fury. I tweeted about this. Every, you know, if you've paid attention to Eddie Hearn at all, you know he's going to dangle the big ticket item and, and you're just not going to get that. You're probably going to get Jarrell Miller at Barclays. That's what you're probably getting. But you, you just have to wonder, like, like, is it worth it? I mean, you're making so much money over there. Is it worth it? I think he's young enough in his career that it is. And I think you got to do the Miller fight at Barclays in August. That's a great test run. But it's tough when you're printing money. It really is tough. And, and, and they are printing money in the United Kingdom. Um, I think this can be, I've already done a deep dive on this. To me, this is another obvious deep dive in the future. The thing is this, if you're Eddie Hearn, and this is really what it comes down to, HBO and Showtime are going to bid, but this isn't about how much of a license fee you're getting for European fights for Anthony Joshua. You clearly can't put a fight at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. West Coast on pay-per-view. You just can't do it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to, to see that Anthony Joshua has huge star potential in the United States, but the question is how do you get him there? And you read all these articles about $500 million from the UFC and all this other interest from everybody else. And Look, this is where Eddie Hearn's got to earn his money. This is, it, you've got to craft a plan to turn him into that pay-per-view star in the United States. You know you got the opponent in Deontay Wilder. How do you do that from here? So that's the big question. You can look at possibilities in the future, but these TV numbers, not doing it. You should never lose 
a TV ratings battle to Dillian Wade versus Lucas Brown. You just shouldn't do it. Um, the deep dive this week, unfortunately, is just going to be May 5th and the cancellation of that fight. And rather than get into the technicalities of what's happening, what happened, all that kind of stuff. I, quick overview of the sequence of events. So Canelo tests positive for quinbuterol. In February, he fails two drug tests. Since Canelo and Triple G are in the VADA protocol, there is voluntary drug testing on their part. Canelo's training in Mexico, and that's where he tested positive. He immediately claims that it was tainted meat in Mexico, that that's responsible for his positive test. So I'm going to try to be as objective here as possible. On the plus side for Canelo, there is strong evidence to suggest that it is really common in butcher houses in, in Mexico to have tainted meat. The meat is given clenbuterol in an effort to make the cow stronger, have more quality meat, whatever you want to say. And there have been numerous cases of athletes in Mexico in recent years who have tested positive you know, specifically for drugs like clenbuterol. Uh, also on the plus side for Canelo, the levels of clenbuterol in the system were low enough to suggest that he simply ate tainted meat rather than he doped. Uh, the other thing for him, and I think this might be a little bit more controversial, but I think it, it's probably true for him. If you're Canelo, clenbuterol, it, it's not the obvious drug of choice for someone like him. There's benefits to taking it, no question, but the, the fighters that would benefit more from taking a drug like clenbuterol are fighters with lots of weight to lose. And Canelo, is, he's really only started to fight as a true middleweight in terms of like he has to make 160 pounds. Now, the case against Canelo is that if he were doping for this upcoming fight, then like this is exactly when he would have tested positive. Um, but I think, look, enough, enough sitting here and regurgitating information that you can get elsewhere. I think there's a couple good reads out there. I recommend the Ian Kidd article. I know not, you know, he comes off as someone who's just speaking in defense of Canelo. I just think it's interesting how USADA would have dealt with this case and you know, the UFC has some of the most ridiculous penalties that exist in all of sports for this kind of thing. And, the, you know, the fact of the matter is Canelo would have probably been exonerated by the UFC for a case like this. But let's talk about the business part of this. You know, first and foremost, once the decision was made to move the hearing to April 18th, the fight was done. It was done. There is just... From a marketing perspective, you can't roll out an off-channel marketing plan by then, between April 18th and, and May 5th. And you know, and, and mind you, the fight takes place May 5th. Much of the advertising you see is in the week leading up to the fight, and specifically the three days leading up to the fight. And in order to properly buy, like, out-of-home billboards, you know that's to any normal person that's a you know a billboard you're going to see driving from point a to point b they buy tons of you know we buy tons of them for the fights in los angeles and new york 
you need to be logistically securing those billboards over a month out. If they're not digital billboards, you need to have your art going up on them over a month out, which really means they're up two or three weeks in advance. It's, it's TV inventory for this time of the year is tight. You got NBA playoffs. You know, the, those early baseball games don't get huge TV ratings, but there is, you know, people do, they start the season with strong TV, you know, stronger TV ratings for certain teams. And for the key markets, you have to be very mindful of that. Yeah, there's some soccer or whatever, but, you know, nothing's reasonably priced this time this time of the year. The NBA translates most. Uh, the playoff inventory is expensive and unreliable. So to get, I mean, what all that means is to get the TV inventory you want for this, especially the sporting TV inventory, you need to reserve it early and you need to act early. And, you know... <sighs> The other TV inventory out there, it's like it's no joke. I mean, it, the Kentucky Derby is the same day. You know, you to come up with a creative plan digitally or, or on TV or, you know, combining multiple things together to, to amplify them, you know, I've done crazy targeting techniques in the past where you're sending out digital marketing blast right when people are looking at their phones for results from the Kentucky Derby and you're geo-targeting all the areas that are likely to have the highest buy rates. It's, it's crazy. It's hard to nail down. From a pure TV perspective, the simple process of reserving TV ad space and trafficking your TV ad out and ensuring the right asset gets from point A to point B means you need to be acting on everything well before April 18th. You know, even April 10th is pushing it, but April 10th with a powerful TV buying agency on your side, you can do it. You, it's really, by that point, you've already secured the inventory most likely. You just, if you have a powerful agency, you can pull out of it if you need to. Um, digital, you're running most of your ads like three to five days leading up to the fight. You're doubling down in the three days leading up to the fight. And you need to own the premium in inventory here. Um, lots of advertisers like Cinco de Mayo weekend. I mean, that's really the bottom line. Uh, it goes, and that goes back to TV too. So in, in digital, the simple quality control process for this kind of stuff means you're delivering your ad two weeks out. And it's not two weeks out of May 5th. It's two weeks out of when you start, which could be a week before. So once they said April 18th, that was it. It's over. And here's, I know that sounds strange to people, like to, to the people listening to this podcast, you've had this scheduled in your calendar for weeks. You essentially knew you were watching this when it got announced. Like maybe your significant other is trained to understand that on Cinco de Mayo weekend and Mexican Independence Day weekend and for those people who aren't Mexican, that's like either the first or second NFL weekend of the year. Like, there's just going to be big fights. Those are big fight weekends. Um, but what you got to understand here is the hardcore fan base, and that's, I'm assuming, uh, my audience here. You guys account for an extremely low percentage of these types of pay-per-view buys. 
in the pay-per-view market, the hardcore fan is actually one of the most discerning customers out there. You guys have an extremely like just sense of value. And none of the ads you are going to watch on TV for other things, they're, they're not intended for you. <laughs> I, I know that's hard to grasp, but we're trying to get your neighbor. We're trying to get your coworker. Uh, if there's not a paid media plan in place for a fight, that means you're relying on publicity to spread the word, like PR, basically, people writing articles about it, that kind of stuff, to spread the word for the fight. You are probably giving up hundreds of thousands of buys at that point. And when I say probably, you're definitely giving up six figures of buys. You are, you could be giving up half your buys, like maybe half. Um, no promoter is going to do that. This fight was reported to have sold over 1.2 million pay-per-views last time. I mean, maybe just because of the controversy, it does a little bit more than half, but that you're talking about that kind of drop-off likely. May, you know, maybe I'm crazy, maybe that's an overestimation, but either way, it's a significant drop-off. There's no way it hits a million pay-per-view buys without a paid media campaign. No way. Um, and, you know, the other factor is here, by this point, the promotion has already spent deep into six figures on the press tour, making all the marketing assets for the media buy. You know, they shot the commercial weeks ago. Everyone's been acting on it. All kinds of people have been employed to make this happen. You know, and here's really the big question for you guys, and, and maybe it's not something you consider, but when exactly do you purchase a pay-per-view? Like, even if you knew you were going to buy this pay-per-view weeks in advance, when was the last time you bought the fight more than a few hours in advance? When we track sales of pay-per-view, there is no point in even looking at the tracking before, like, Wednesday of fight week. And probably Thursday, to be really, really like, honest with yourself. If you talk to anyone else who does this in the entertainment industry... Like, that's crazy. When when I tell people that, they think I'm crazy. Movie studios look at awareness levels and tracking for their movies weeks, if not months out. And I mean, I personally purchase a, a pay-per-view fight 10 minutes before the first undercard, if that. If that. If I don't like the first undercard, I'll purchase it halfway through the first undercard. You know... This is all a long-winded way of saying that not knowing whether a fight is going to happen by April 10th means you are completely freaking out if you're the promoters. You're probably losing some of the ad space that you covet, but that's not really, I mean, like, that's not going to stop the fight, but, but you are freaking out. You can still shift your plan, and you can probably make sure it's okay, and you can probably play on some other factors and, and do some different things. You know, you might make your life miserable. You might do the fight a slight disservice. But you can put a respectable plan together by that point. By April 18th, all, all hope is gone. <laughs> it's, it's over. And, you know, you're essentially, you're shopping at Walmart 
for stuff that you would normally buy at Saks or Sotheby's or something like that. It's just, it, it's over by that point. So we're not going to get that fight now. That's too bad. You know, and here's the other thing. The Nevada Athletic Commission, they know this. They've known this the whole time. They may not know it on the level of detail that I just outlined for you, but they are well aware by this point. The fighters have spent lots of money on their training camp. The promoters have spent lots of money on the press tour, the creation of all the marketing assets, huge man hours from everyone's company. You know, and it's one thing to take this kind of stand with a UFC fighter because UFC pay-per-view cards are not as star-based as boxing cards are. I think they've become more star-based in the last few years, but they generally put together their main event is five fights, many times with several stars on each fight. You know, like the, it, when you buy a pay-per-view for the UFC, you're not thinking to yourself, oh, I'm watching like this one guy fight. You're like, oh, well, there's three or four really, really awesome fights that I want to see, and there's a big star. I'm in. It, you know, boxing, that's just not the case. Boxing, it, it's it's the main event and that's it. And the Nevada Athletic Commission, you know, I know they're a public entity, but they make their money by taking a percentage of the ticket sales, not the pay-per-view. So... With a fight like this, this this fight could easily go to Texas, California, or New York. And when a fight like this gets canceled, it's a huge grain. They take 2%. So here's how it works. There's an 8%, 8% tax on the gate for all the fights in Nevada. 2% goes right to the funding the Nevada Athletic Commission, and the other 6% goes to the state of Nevada. So I'm generalizing here. Last time there was a $25 million gate for the you know for the first fight. I'm guessing that's what the gate would have been this time. 2% of a $25 million gate is $500,000. That's no joke for a government agency like this. I think the entire budget for this agency in 2016 was $550,000. So this one fight basically funds their entire budget for their agency. You know, and, and the rest of the money they're missing out on, that's one point, you know, 6% is $1.5 million. And that goes to the state. Like, that funds a lot of stuff in the state of Nevada. And I'm not suggesting that you should, you know, I, it, let, me, let, me, let me say it a little bit differently. I applaud the... Nevada Athletic Commission for taking a stand against PEDs. I really do. I really applaud their stance here. But I think it's a little misguided. I think it also is going to have serious implications for fight fights in Las Vegas down the road. You know, if you're Canelo, why even bother fighting in Las Vegas after something like this goes down? You know, in general, for any fighter, the advantages of doing an event in Las Vegas, you pay less in, in personal income taxes. And that's because the state taxes in California and, and, and New York, they're no joke. Uh, but Nevada and Texas, both of them, the state taxes are less, 
production costs go way down because there's not really union issues for the most part. You know, in Las Vegas especially, there's, you know, only recently has there been a professional hockey team. And so, you know, for the most part, you are the professional sport as a as a boxer. Like, you are their big-time sport. And the casinos especially, they'll always make sure – they'll pay huge guarantees to to the, the fighters because they need to get their big, their big gamblers in town. And, and, you know, anyone, if you've ever been to the MGM Grand Garden Arena – they funnel everyone out just right into the casino. I mean, that's, that's the whole, that's where this whole thing started. Basically, you know, they want, they want to get their big whales in town and have them gamble all weekend, but they also want everyone who attended the fight to come out and gamble. Um, and I think overall here, you know, these with the commission, these are not elected positions; they're appointed positions, and I wonder if you will see change here. The, you know, the casino industry has a lot of political sway over what happens in Las Vegas, and you you got to imagine they're not going to be happy like this with just the overall economic impact that it has on a city like Las Vegas, filling up hotel rooms and just people spending money in general. You got to wonder about that. Now, I'm not suggesting they would make a move like that just because you took a stand on PEDs, which again, I applaud, but you know, let's, let's go on and take, let's take a look at this from Golden Boy's perspective. Why would you just, why would you ever risk this happening again? Like if you're Golden Boy, you need to defend Canelo's interest no matter what. Canelo himself just lost out on a $25 million minimum payday. And you don't know if he's ever going to get it back. I mean, even if he does take the GGG fight in the fall, you only got one fight this year instead of two. And and it's a big deal for your company considering Canelo is your cash cow. You know, but it's also a big deal to Canelo. I mean, as long as he put forth a good showing, you know, his other fight this year would have been at least, you know, a 10 or $15 million payday to him, even if it wasn't Triple G. If it was Triple G and they, and they fought again, I mean, they couldn't, even been more money than that. You know, it could have been another $25, $30 million payday. You know, I I just explained the financial implications. And, and sorry I'm jumping around here, but I got, I got to go back to the Nevada Athletic Commission because I just, it's a misguided, it's just a misguided stance. The, you shouldn't be doing everything for money right here, but... I think under the USADA guidelines for the UFC, Canelo would have been exonerated. I really do. I think he would have been exonerated. And I don't know whether he cheated or not. I'm guessing he did not. But to me, it's a moot point. If if you would have dealt with this in a timely way, this fight probably still could have happened. And yes, I mean, it's so, in certain respects, you would look bad because he did test positive. But if you look at the context of where he tests, of how he tested positive, I think you can still have the fight. I mean, it, it really, it shocks me that it's not happening. You know, and I think there's the other part of it where it's like, you know, why is it that boxing, the sport which, 
you know, let's be honest, probably many of its top level competitors either have at some point used PEDs or, or are able to currently get away with it, you know, and now you're suddenly taking the stance. Like a sport like the NFL, and this is the NFL, which is considered to be one of the most backwards, like least forward thinking sports entities out there. If you lose your right tackle or your linebacker to a PED suspension, the natural reaction to that isn't, oh, God, that guy's a cheater, ban him from the sport for life. It's like, what are we going to do at right tackle for the next four weeks or eight weeks or however long the suspension lands? You know, and those guys, like, they take the same amount of head trauma as guys do in boxing. You know, you can't say in football, oh, PEDs are, you know, Boxing's different because, you know, there's trauma to the head. There's just as much trauma to the head in football as there is in boxing. You know, I think if you're going to take this stance as the NAC, it just needs to be in a scenario where you are 100% sure that the fighter's doping. I think that would make a lot more sense. The bottom line here is the process simply didn't allow for that. And you missed an opportunity, and it could cost you a lot of future fights with Canelo. I mean, think about this. Would this have ever happened to Floyd, ever? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I don't know what the implications are down the road, but, you know, like I said, if I'm Canelo, I'm looking elsewhere. All right, let's get into the preview. This upcoming weekend, April 7th on Showtime, we've got Arislandi Lara fighting Jared Hurd. And that fight is basically even odds. It is a couple, sometimes, you know, Lara is minus 125, plus 115 for whatever. It's basically even odds. It's a great matchup. It's really only intended for the for the hardcore fans. Um, you know, most of the people listening here, you guys don't need you don't need me to tell you that this weight class has a bunch of potentially great fights. And then you know, you fighters who win a title or two or whatever win a big fight. They they can always come up. There's so much, you know, assuming Canelo and Triple G do fight in September. Um, there's going to be opportunity next year for sort of the people who come out of this 154 weight class to move up and have a real shot at getting a big money fight. I don't think there's a big money fight at 154. I think at 160, though, there's big money out there. Um, of note, I think I will mention this now. I usually don't talk about this stuff, but you know the UFC has a big pay per view this weekend as well. I hope it doesn't impact this fight too much. It might, though. That's the kind of UFC fight that might. Uh, the following weekend, there's not really a fight worth previewing. I know ESPN2 is doing a fight from Japan. Um, you know, and, and then there was the news. I did my last episode on the OTT app, so I don't want to get too much into that again. ESPN announced it. I know no one's going to be super psyched about the Khan LaGreco fight. But the other stuff coming up, I think, is worth really taking a look at. And... You know, again, you guys just don't understand. Four ninety nine a month. It's the cost of. It's less than one pay per view for the whole year. I think 
you know, I think you're going to get some good boxing for it. Um, other than that, the rest of the month of April, not really too many great fights out there. I mentioned this last time. I'm, I'm semi-interested in Jesse Vargas, Adrian Broner. I have a feeling it's not going to be a great fight. You know, the Danny Jacobs fight, I mean, look, you even you saw the key art. If you haven't saw, seen the key art, follow Patrick Byrne for HBO. And I, I don't, I'll get his Twitter handle and, and mention it next time. He always tweets out the, the fight posters. You know, Danny Jacobs is on there by himself. It's a complete star cell. You see where that stuff's going just by looking at that poster sometimes. Great artwork, by the way. Props to my former colleagues. But um, nothing too great. We can talk about it in the review. And, and, and we'll pick – maybe I'll, I'll do some questions next time too with, with a deep dive since there's not going to be a whole lot to review there. But, um, you know, good stuff. I wish, I wish the Joshua Parker fight was a little bit better. I tweeted about it a little bit as it was going on. I mean – I'm not necessarily the guy who's going to give you the best technical breakdown of a fight. I did think that it was full of suspense. They did fight at, you know, Paul Malinaji made a pretty astute comment. I know many of the people who are probably listening to this don't like any announcers out there. I fully understand that. I'm, I'm well aware of people's thoughts on social media when it comes to that. You do have to get – please give them a chance on some of this stuff. I know it's hard when Moral Ronello makes some ridiculous comments, and let's not even get into the HBO ones. But um, Paulie made an astute comment that they fought at range really nicely uh, in terms of – they. it was a tense fight. It wasn't an action-filled fight. It was a tense fight, though, and it was certainly tense for me. I thought Parker had a good strategy and actually did some interesting things. And I think had he taken more chances, he could have actually been more successful. I'm not going to argue too much with the scorecards. I thought it was a little bit closer, but does it really matter? No, Joshua won clearly. And, and on to the next things for him, on to bigger and better things. But look, enjoy the 154 you know enjoy both showtime fights they're both pretty good this weekend um if you're not a fan of ufc i know there was an injury and it's a late replacement that's a great fight too i'll, I'll always call out good ufc fights uh when they're out there especially if you're a hardcore boxing fan it, it does you some good to watch those every once in a while but other than that you guys Tweet at me, email me, let me know if you got any questions. I think next week I'll do a little bit more of those, maybe maybe do a couple of those uh, to fill because, you know, not too many fights then. Let me know. Other than that, enjoy the fights. Bye, guys. Did you get what you was looking for?